0: Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Liebman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. From the GERT. Studio at OPB. This is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. We turn now to the issue of driver's license suspensions for unpaid traffic fines. It's an issue that affects millions of Americans across the country. In 2020, the Oregon Legislature made it so going forward, people can't lose their driver's licenses for failure to pay these fines. But the law wasn't retroactive, so thousands of Oregonians are without licenses for exactly that reason. Last year, then-Governor Kate Brown made it possible for about 8,000 people to get their licenses back. Last week, Governor Tina Kotek expanded that list to include 10,000 more Oregonians. We're going to listen now to a series of conversations we had about this issue in 2021. In a few minutes, we'll hear from one woman who was going to get her license back. We start with a lawyer who had been working on this issue for a few years. Kelsey Heilman is an attorney with the Oregon Law Center. I asked her why the center first started focusing on this issue.
1: Well, we realized that this issue was affecting a huge portion of our clients, Um, so Tens of thousands of Oregonians, I think is a conservative estimate, have their licenses suspended because they couldn't afford to pay traffic fines. And when we started asking our clients about it, we heard from many, many people that this was an issue that was really affecting their lives. Um, It was making it harder for them to get and keep jobs. It was a debt burden hanging over their heads. It was something that was deepening poverty across the state.
0: In what way? What's the connection between um, the getting your license suspended and deepening poverty?
1: Well, the most, the clearest connection is the connection that happens with the debt spiral that occurs after a license suspension. So, when someone can't afford the first ticket. And they can't pay it. Until very recently, it was the case that fees were added more than doubling the debt. Their license is suspended. They often lose their car insurance. And then they will get a new citation for driving while suspended because they don't have a viable option to keep working and providing for their families while not driving. That results in a new fine they can't pay and a new 20-year suspension. So very quickly, people find themselves in in significant debt, often well in excess of $10,000.
0: What kinds of infractions have fines that, if they are unpaid, can lead to these suspended licenses?
1: Until recently, it was any traffic violation that um, was a moving violation. So anything that's not about a parking violation.
0: And just to be clear here, we're talking about failure to pay fines, not say, um, th- you know, the, the results from repeated DUIs or vehicular manslaughter or, or losing your license because the, the state has decided that what you did behind the wheel is so serious that you shouldn't be allowed to drive. We're talking specifically about losing your license because you didn't pay fines, say, for speeding.
1: That's exactly right. Yes, this is only about losing your license. It could be, honestly, for a broken taillight can start the cycle.
0: Tracy Chavez is with us. She lives in Bend now and has had a suspended driver's license for more than 26 years. Tracy Chavez, welcome to Think Out Loud.
2: Hi, thank you. Me.
0: if i'm not mistaken so the, the one of the first tickets that, that you got which led to a whole cascade of fines and then a suspension it was almost 30 years ago how much do you remember about that time and that one ticket
2: um i remember everything about it i uh i was on my way to the hospital my um fiance at the time was uh, had an aneurysm and was um, in the hospital dying and i got pulled over for speeding and i got a ticket so after that, I made arrangements to pay the ticket of uh, $60 a month. Um, I paid several, but then I couldn't pay the last one, so I got suspended from there.
0: What, what was going on in your life at that time? Well, um, my fiance passed away.
2: I had four kids under the age of 15. Um, they had school functions. I had to go to the store, the laundromat, all things like that. I um, There was no way I could not drive. Um, I just had so much going on, and yeah.
0: So your license was suspended, but your life was such that with kids and as a single mother, you had no choice but to drive. Where were you living at the time?
2: I was living in Bend at the time, and uh, at that time, there was no public transportation, so um, I couldn't afford to call a cab or anything like that. So I would either have to drive or walk, and it gets really cold in Bend, and with four small children, it's kind of hard to... To walk everywhere. <laughs> so.
0: What was it like for you to get behind the wheel, either you know by yourself or when you were um, taking your children somewhere, knowing that you were driving illegally?
2: Oh, it was horrible. I am um, constantly looking over your shoulder and being afraid that a cop would get behind you um, and pull you over. My kids, to this day, I believe um, my son, my youngest son, was two when I got the first ticket. He is today twenty-eight years old. Um, even even now all of my kids are, they get nervous and butterflies in their stomach. They say when police get behind them for no reason, because they are all totally legal. But yeah, I think it's just the impact of, of going through that is when they were kids, you know? So,
0: Hmm. Were there times when you were pulled over again?
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I was pulled over several times um, through the years. And that's why I've gotten all the tickets, you know, but um, it was mostly for minor things like, like, not signaling or uh license plate light was out or things like that you know just real minor i mean I'm, i've never really had any I, I did have a speeding ticket or two i think but mostly it was just for those types of things you know hmm.
0: how did this affect the work you were able to actually do or or you know the workplaces you could actually get to
2: uh i lost several um chances to um move up in jobs because I couldn't I couldn't drive. Um you know when you have a job and they want to see your license, you can't you have to you have to have one. So so yeah, um it affected several different areas of jobs that I had.
0: Kelsey Heilman, this um the the Oregon version of this story um was was brought to our attention partly because of Uh, a little bit of what seems like a peculiarity with the the city of phoenix um a a special case because they don't have a municipal court there anymore if i understand these details correctly Um, and tracy chavez one of the places um, the courts that that she owed money to was in phoenix so so what exactly did phoenix do in, in in pretty recently
1: well, so we wrote to Phoenix when we were communicating with all of the different courts where Tracy had suspensions and debt to ask them about what, how she could deal with it, given that the Phoenix Municipal Court had closed in 2016. And so we have reached an agreement with the city that is really common sense and compassionate, we are really hoping that other jurisdictions will take a look and follow Phoenix's lead. The city is clearing all debt that is 10 years old or older. That includes Tracy's. Her tickets there were from 1999. Um, They're lifting the license suspension, waiving the amounts owed. They took that step because they consulted with their own attorneys and decided that those debts were essentially uncollectible. And for people who have more recent debt, they are now offering a chance to go to the Jackson County Justice Court. And the city is supporting significant debt compromises, um, things like 50% balance reduction. They've also offered to accept community service. So folks who want to sew face masks and work off some of their debt that way um, will be able to do so. So it's just it's it's a pragmatic approach and it's also compassionate. It's going to give drivers a second chance to get their licenses and get a handle on their debt.
0: If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about driver's license suspensions in Oregon for unpaid fines. Our guests are Kelsey Heilman, a staff attorney with the Portland Regional Office of the Oregon Law Center, and Tracy Chavez, who lives in Bend and has had a suspended driver's license for over 26 years now. Kelsey Heilman, this seems like a good time to get into um, the, the new law in Oregon. And this happened... Um last year, it's, it's very recent in the first special session of 2020. Many people might have missed it because so much was going on in June of 2020. What did the legislature do? Uh, and this was it passed with bipartisan support. This was House Bill 4210.
1: Yeah, so Oregon joined a growing list of states that got rid of suspension for non-payment of fines, got rid of debt-based suspension. And the reason this issue received attention in the special session is because the legislators recognized that it is a race equity issue. Um, Drivers of color are pulled over more often, they are cited more often, and they are given higher fines for the same offenses. We know that from national data and also from recent data out of Multnomah County uh, called the Red Report. And so in response to those concerns, as well as the concerns about exacerbating poverty that we discussed earlier, the legislature decided to repeal the law that authorized the suspension of driver licenses for failure to pay fines.
0: But just to be clear, as I mentioned briefly in my intro, this new law, which is currently in effect, I think it went into effect in October, it is only in effect going forward, right? It does nothing for the, you said, tens of thousands of Oregonians who have already lost their driving privileges.
1: That's right. And so we really hope that this Phoenix settlement will shine a light on the opportunity that Oregon has right now to look at additional reforms to the approach to court debt. Um, we don't have to keep things doing this way, keep doing things in the same way. Lots of jurisdictions are changing. Um, you know, they're, they're offering affordable payment plans that are actually tailored to levels that, that people can afford in recognition that these harsh debt collection mechanisms are not bringing in revenue and they're trapping people in this debt cycle.
0: I have to say, the thinking behind this type of punishment is understandable to me. I mean, I, I see the intention as to increase a chance that if people break the law in one way or another, that they'll actually be held accountable. And if they're not paying their fines, if the state has said, this is a punishment for breaking the law in this way. And then if people don't don't actually, you know, pay that fine, I, I can imagine, municipalities saying well we have to you have to be responsible somehow. What are you arguing should happen if people don't pay fines?
1: Well, we are arguing that there should be a realistic path to dealing with the debt. And so the fine, when originally imposed, um, Oregon courts have flexibility to take into consideration a person's financial circumstances when deciding at the outset what the fine ought to be for that person. And then courts also have tremendous flexibility in offering flexible payment plans and um So one example from across the country is that Palm Beach County, Florida in 2014 changed its program around court debt, and they started offering payment plans as low as $20 a month. This was a big change from what they had been doing before. They also, when people missed payments, started uh, nudging them with payment reminders instead of sending them immediately immediately to collections. So since that change, the county has reduced suspensions by 75% in non-traffic cases, 36% in traffic cases, driving while suspended charges are down by 23%. And payments and revenue are actually up. They have increased their collections by offering these more affordable payment plans. And the experience of Tracy and my other clients is people, they try to make payments. I've never had a client who didn't try, but payment plans that are offered as affordable for example requiring $50 a month can be out of reach for low-income Oregonians so we need we need arrangements that actually give people a realistic path and hope to dealing with the debt
0: you and and the Oregon Law Center that you're a part of have been um, trying to fight this uh, in, uh, in courts as well. If I understand the, the legal process correctly, um, this, you, you basically lost um, a ruling uh, at the district court level, um, but now you're taking this to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. If I, again, if I understand this correctly, the district court judge found that you were unlikely to win on the merits of your arguments. What is the constitutional argument here, as opposed to a moral one?
1: So, um, unfortunately, I can't comment on the merits of pending litigation. Um, But what I can say is, aside from the merits of the constitutional argument, there are strong, pragmatic, and policy-based reasons for taking these, these steps to reform the way that Oregon courts and jurisdictions handle court debt. And we... We hope that that there will be many places across Oregon that follow Phoenix's lead to provide relief to the tens of thousands of people who still have their licenses suspended.
0: Tracy Chavez. So, um, as, as Kelsey Heilman mentioned. Um, they were, you were able to, to get the city of Phoenix um, to, uh, to agree to, to stop pursuing your case, to stop asking for money from a long time ago for a, an unpaid, unpaid um, fine. What does that mean for you going forward?
2: Uh, that means that I'll, I'll be able to obtain my license very soon. Um, which is which is great. I it's been so long. I'm not. I hope
0: I pass. <laughs> oh, because you're meaning pass the the DMV the driver's yeah. test yeah. or the written test.
2: Yeah. So I'm sure I
0: will. <laughs> what has to happen now before you can drive legally? Um, I have one one uh, payment of
2: sixty five dollars to Eugene, um, a court in Eugene, and then uh, all of the other ones have sent the. The thing in saying that I, I can get my license to you know, to DMV, and um, then I just have to take the test and pay the reinstatement fee, and I'll be good.
0: What is that going to mean for your daily life? Oh, it's
2: going to be astronomically different. I mean, I won't have to worry the the weight, just the weight lifted off your shoulders um, when you get in the car and and drive with with a license. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be unbelievable. Um, I can teach my grandkids how to drive, I, which I never got to do with my own children. Um, I can go places and not worry. I just, yeah, it's going to be great. Hmm.
0: Kelsey Heilman, as I mentioned earlier, the Phoenix example—it um, obviously it's, it's it's making a huge difference in Tracy's life, but it does seem unique in that this was a city that that didn't have its municipal court anymore, and so it was going to uh, it was going to be a, a real logistical challenge for it to even collect the money um, that. Um, that it was owed. That's not the case for dozens of other municipal courts around the state. How much of an uphill battle do you think you're still going to have, even with the data you mentioned earlier, for example, you know, showing that municipalities were able to get more money if they are um if they work with people who who owe them money. still, how much of an uphill battle are you expecting?
1: You know, I think it's not so different from Phoenix. Um, So they had placed these debts with a private collection firm, which is a very common practice for municipal and justice courts. And when they looked at their own data, it made sense to them fiscally to waive the debts that were 10 years or older and to offer these favorable terms for the newer debts um, the data that we've seen from the Oregon Judicial Department about circuit court debts is similar. Um, debt's referred to private collection firms when the debt is at least a year old have about a 1% to 4% collection rate. I mean, this is just not money that is being recovered under the current system. I am, I am really hopeful, given the conversations that we're having with municipalities, municipal court judges, with counties, that um, there will be a lot of entities that see that there's a way to stop the harm that the current system is doing without taking a revenue hit um, and while still providing the accountability that you mentioned earlier.
0: You know, Tracy Chavez, we were talking about all the the daily necessities that um, that a driving a driver's license enables visits to. Um, but but setting aside things like supermarkets or or driving to a job, for example, is there something you're most excited to be able to do when you can legally get behind the wheel again? Yes,
2: yeah, so visiting. my I do live on the other side of the mountain.
0: <laughs> yeah, visiting, we, we missed you for a second. Visiting who?
2: My daughters. I have two Ah. daughters that live in in the valley and I live in Bend now, so I don't see them often, but I will get to go there often if I have my own license and card. So that'll be nice.
0: Tracy Chavez and Kelsey Heilman, thanks very much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Kelsey Heilman is an attorney at the Portland Office of the Oregon Law Center. Tracy Chavez lives in Bend. They talked to us in 2021.